what if i tell you that thinking deeply designing the research questions and mapping the diverse approach together connects the scholar's heart to the heart of research process hello and welcome to another episode of scholar's knowledge to wisdom podcast today's episode will take you through the journey of our guest who is a scientist at the wildlife institute of india dehradun with an expertise as botanist field biologist naturalist plant taxonomist and researcher let's welcome navendu pagi welcome sir it's an honor to have you on the podcast scholar's knowledge to wisdom thank you so much ruby the honor is actually mine i'm very happy and pleased to be here and uh, where are you joining us from uh i'm joining you from dehradun which is the place where i work which is where the wildlife institute of india is located uh so okay. that's where i'm it's the capital city of uttarakhand yeah beautiful city yes yes uh as we dive into your research journey take us to the why and the origin of your interest into the nature and the wildlife research uh yes uh it's actually quite difficult to trace the origins uh, of my research and that's that's largely because there've been so many reasons uh, that have been responsible uh, and so many people that have been involved that have gotten me interested uh uh in the line of research that i ended up choosing for my career but i think uh one of the biggest uh persons that uh, have uh, motivated me and influenced me in making this decision uh is my mother uh my mm. mother uh is an exceptional woman she uh, is a single parent i lost my father very early mm. and uh my mother not only raised me and my sister but she also while doing so carved out uh, a very successful career for his, uh, herself and while doing so she also made sure that she kept her interests and ho- hobbies alive and uh, my mother is a trekker and a mountaineer and because of her hobbies me and my sister we got a very early exposure uh to the outdoors of uh, western ghats mm-hmm. uh even uh from a very young age my mother used to carry me around on her back and the family time was basically the time we would spend outdoors in the wilderness either trekking somewhere in the himalayas or somewhere in the forest so i've been very fortunate to to get a very early exposure to the nature to the wilderness and to the outdoors from a very young age thanks to my mother and uh, while growing up through my schooling days my mother also gave me exposure through various uh, nature camps and wildlife uh, related initiatives through which i met a lot of uh, teachers and mentors who also i think uh, played uh, who also been a big influence in um, in nurturing my interest and me eventually choosing this uh, career trajectory um i think uh your teachers and uh, you know your parents i think uh, for anybody i think they play a, a very very important role in the in the decisions that you make uh, uh, for your careers and uh, i've have not been uh, my case has not been uh, any exception um so i think uh, i would give the credit largely to my mother and also to my teachers uh, 
behind mm. why I got interested in wildlife and plants. Mm. So, uh, what emotion would you connect here? I mean, I would like to know if you have to connect a, an emotion to it. Um, I think multiple emotions. I would say I think. Uh, love for nature is something that was inculcated into be my, my mother um mm -hmm. knowingly unknowingly uh i would also say her just passion seeing her doing what she does also had an influence in um uh, in you know me choosing this uh, this career path although my mother is not really a trained biologist but uh, even without being a biologist she was very interested in in plants and the mm -hmm. natural world around us and uh, that automatically kind of you know those qualities uh, imbibed uh, you know in, in into us uh, into me and my sister so mm -hmm. i think uh, i think those were the emotions that uh, i think i would uh, i would say were important uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, during my childhood days yeah a very inspiring journey you have and uh, i would say that uh, you are blessed with a strong women in your life as a mother so that's true absolutely uh from so moving from your why and uh, to the qualities that served you on your phd journey to the full time scientist um right so again i'm not sure if uh, if there's really a word for this quality and it's very hard to place a finger on one or uh, a set of qualities but i think when i look back uh, i think i can trace the origins of this quality to the time during my higher secondary education uh, when i was expected to study the conventional mainstream subjects uh, which somehow did not interest me at all so instead of studying uh, these subjects i would spend all my time observing the natural world which included birds and plants mm -hmm. uh, you know and without thinking of consequences and quite stupidly so if my, if i may add uh, i have always tried to pursue what i was really interested in and it's not even like it was a conscious choice it was almost like i did not have a choice but to follow my interest Mm -hmm. and again i don't want to glorify this quality because i think it came at a cost i barely managed to scrape through my 12th examination and my performance was extremely embarrassing for me and i'm sure for my mother as well but i think in the long run it may have paid off because it made me someone who is good in natural history and field biology which are very important skills in my field of research and it i think worked a great deal to my advantage in choosing my research directions during my undergraduate and post graduation days and eventually as a full time scientist hmm. so i would say that uh, it was the interest driven approach towards that drew you towards uh, being a full time scientist yeah absolutely and uh yes i mean i i've always just followed my heart and just followed what i've always been truly interested in 
like I said, often without thinking of consequences. And uh, I've been very lucky that it I ended up uh, in this, uh, you know, uh, career path. Mm. So, um, as you are fascinated by the ubiquity and uh, the diversity of plants, so what approach do you adopt to map up uh, the diversity together? Um, I would say evolution and geography is the template that I use to map the incredible diversity of plants. Um, there's a very famous essay titled Nothing in Biology Makes Sense Except in the Light of Evolution by one of the most leading evolutionary biologists of his times. So his name is Dobzhansky. And this is very, very relevant to plants because there are just so many of them. So what I what I try to do is I try to look at all the patterns in plants uh, that I see around me when I go on these plant exploration trips. Uh, and I try to study their distribution through the lens of evolution and geography. It's extremely fascinating and enlightening to learn about the evolutionary relationships, or in other words, how these different species of plants are related to each other. Why is it that certain group of plants are more diverse than the others? Why are they distributed the way they are? Why are some species more geographically restricted as compared to the others? And finding answers to all these questions is nothing but mapping them uh, in space, which is geography, and also mapping them in time uh, using their evolutionary relationships. Uh, and I've, I'm fascinated by the space-time continuum, and therefore I also like to draw the parallels of space-time continuum in my field of research. And therefore, I think evolution and geography together provide a very, very powerful approach to mapping the plant diversity. Mm. So, uh, moving from the evolution and the geography part uh, to the heart of research, that is the research question. So, what framework do you adopt to design or to formulate the research question? Um. Right. So like I said, I'm largely a field biologist and a lot of what I do uh, and a lot of stimulus for my research is what comes from what I observe in the field. Uh, and uh, of course, it's therefore very, very important for me to record uh, when I'm out there uh, observing plants uh, in the wilderness, uh, in the field. and uh, it's so there are multiple ways I record these observations. First, of course, is uh, recording these uh, in the form of a field notebook. And secondly, also taking a lot of pictures and images. So this is this forms the bulk of my raw data, so to speak, based on which I formulate my research. Um, right since uh, my early days, um, my teachers have impressed upon me the importance of keeping field diaries. But also, I realized in the due course of time that it's very, very, um, it's very, you have to be super organized to be able to uh, keep your diaries in a way that are then helpful to you over a long period of time. What I instead found uh, much more useful was to build up uh, an image library, you know, and, you know, they say that. 
uh, image is uh, worth more than a thousand words. And I find this uh, very, very true in my case. Um, so what I essentially do is when I'm when I'm doing field work, when I'm observing plants in the field, I take lots and lots of photos of plants, of their habitats. And uh, that's the data which uh, I keep referring to uh, after I come back. And that's uh, how I uh, sort of formulate my research questions. Um, mm. And I think that apart from these things, it's also important to keep actively thinking about uh, and reflecting upon the observations that you make in the field. You know, what stimulates your thoughts are the observations you make of natural world or any system for that matter, and also the ideas that you glean from the literature and the works of other researchers. So it's, I think it's important to, uh, to do that. And also it's important to discuss these ideas with your peers. Uh, and then when you've done enough of all of that, I think you automatically end up with questions um, for which there doesn't seem to be an obvious explanation or evidence in the theory, in the empirical uh, literature. So I think your research questions need to be, uh, um, although it's important that they're grounded in theory, it's also important that they stem out of the observations that you make uh, of the of the natural world or whatever system that one is interested in. Hmm. Uh, and here I would like to know more on the thinking part. Uh, like at uh, on a path to research journey in context to PhD. I mean, the student or the researcher at that stage how uh, how to think error free any any suggestion on that yeah i think i think it's difficult to think uh, error free i think it's important that you make errors and mistakes uh, during your journey not just your thinking process but also your your phd journey because i think that's an important way of learning uh, but like i said i think just actively and consciously and continuously thinking about your research is is very very important uh, it's also important that your thinking is based on um, the the state of knowledge that exists in your field of research and the literature that exists in your field of research so that so that you don't make the same mistakes that other people have made and so that you don't end up reinventing the wheel all over again. It's also important to bounce off these ideas with your peers. It's also important to have a peer group uh, with whom you can discuss the ideas and such kind of discussions would stimulate uh, the thinking process even more. And uh, hopefully all of this would then lead you towards asking the right questions in your research. Mm. Uh, very mindful insights you gave on igniting your thinking and towards the research towards building the research questions so um, would you share some common mistakes that uh, a scholar or the student make on the journey to phd um yeah i 
I think I can think of a number of rather than calling them mistakes, I would say that uh, there are a number of things that uh, an aspiring PhD student or a candidate should keep in mind uh, before embarking on the PhD journey. Um, and I think uh, one of those uh, things, at least for me, the, one of those things that is at the top of my list is to find a suitable mentor or a supervisor. And I, I realize that when I when I say that, it's we don't always have the luxury of choosing uh, a mentor. Uh, but I think given your narrow set of options, it's still important to make an informed decision uh, based on the mentorship style of your uh, potential supervisors, you know, because there can be more than one mentorship style and not every style is suitable. Uh, you know, different different students benefit from different mentorship styles. Uh, and I think PhD is a journey and this journey can become a lot more enjoyable uh, if you are able to somehow work out a partnership or a working relationship uh, with your supervisor, you know. And uh, now that I look back, I realized that I did not really uh, give it a lot of thought uh, before uh, choosing my PhD advisor, but uh, you know, I've been I've been more than lucky uh, in in having a supervisor whose whose mentorship uh, style uh, was uh, very well aligned to my pace of working and uh, my style of working. So I've been very lucky that way, and I would say that uh, for those of uh, for those students who are uh, who have that option of choosing between supervisors, I think it's important to do, uh, to talk to the PhD students from the supervisor's lab and, uh, and get to know a thing or two about uh, the advisor's uh, teaching and mentorship philosophy. I think that can go a long way in, um, in, in the success of your PhD. I would also say that uh, the place where you choose to do a PhD, apart from uh, your supervisor and when I say place I mean uh, the physical setting and the intellectual atmosphere of that place can also play a big role uh, in your PhD journey and also your mental well-being as a PhD student and I think that's also something that should be given due importance as well and uh, finally I would say that PhD is just just a stage in your career and it's important to not stretch this phase too long. Mm. Uh, and while it's important to strive for perfection, it is also important to realize that that no work can be 100% perfect. And you should know at what point uh, you should to wrap up your PhD, you know, before it before it spirals out of control or it, it extends for far too long. And of course, all these things are very easy to advise, but difficult to practice. And everybody has to figure out on their own uh, on what works out best for them. But I think it's important that you at least make an effort to talk to uh, people who've been in those situations before, talk to PhD students so that you learn from their mistakes. Uh, and hopefully all of that would, uh, all of their experiences would, would help you in making uh, the right choices for your own PhD. Mm very mindful insights you gave and uh, though I would say that uh, it was a bulb on moment for me uh, uh, when you said that the mentorship philosophy 
this term to know the mentorship philosophy uh, as as a criteria to select the mentor or, or the guide on a journey to phd so i i i hope and uh, i wish that the listeners they will imbibe these things that you gave as a gift so uh, what is one common myth about doing research um i think i think there might be a few and i think the answer would depend on on how we perceive research and and what we define as the boundaries of research but i would i would say that research is is not as big a deal as it is made out to be i think anybody with a curious and inquisitive mind can do research or is already doing research without even perhaps realizing it uh but the other myth i would say is is that uh very often it's uh people think that when when is doing research one has to do something ground breaking or if you uh you know if you're engaged in research you're doing something that is you know uh like i said ground breaking but that's uh that's not actually the case most of the research uh that people do uh results in very very small steps forward and very very small advancements uh you know uh based on the research that was carried out before them uh and of course every once in a while there are research discoveries that qualify as truly ground breaking which can be considered as rather significant advancements in our knowledge but those cases are far and few um uh but i would i would also say that i don't want to give an impression that research is very easy and can be done casually uh i think to be able to do research uh in a so called scientific manner one needs to achieve a certain level of rigor and also follow the standards of scientific methodology um so it is also important that you are aware of the state of knowledge so that like i said earlier the wheel is not reinvented and even after you've done all of this uh there is a chance uh that your research may hit a roadblock or that it doesn't reach a logical conclusion which can often be frustrating demotivating so i i think it eventually boils down to what your motivation of of research is and i think there can be two main motivations one where you are personally extremely interested uh behind a particular research question regardless of what relevance it has to the larger uh scientific community or you could be interested in research which has much larger implications which is of benefit to the larger scientific which is of either benefit or of interest to the larger scientific community and if these two are aligned then that's an ideal situation but uh even in cases if it's not i think it's very very important uh that you find some level of personal satisfaction that is not dependent on externalities related to how others or the larger communities view your research so that in case your research uh even if your research is not necessarily appreciated at least as long as at a personal level it is of some kind of satisfaction to you i think 
that is something that I feel is more important. Uh, yeah, so that is what I would say about uh, my take on on uh, research and the myths in research. So uh, I would uh, like to rephrase it as the full. the fulfillment from the research that is more essential part absolutely and uh, again fulfillment uh, can very often our fulfillment is dependent on how others appreciate it or how others view it so i think it's important that your fulfillment is independent of that it's uh, i think that is crucial uh i'm not sure if that makes sense to me it does but i'm not sure if i'm able to articulate it articulate it correctly but i'm i hope that i'm able to get my point across thank you so much uh, sir for taking your time out for uh, sharing your journey thank you so much ruby i yeah. mean some of the questions that you that you asked uh, I, i had not actually uh, reflected upon these questions until the point that you asked so um i really enjoyed this uh, this journey and and uh, answering the questions that you raised i think yes it, it, it definitely helped me also think yeah. about my research more than i had then uh, so far yeah it was great to talk with you thank you so much likewise and uh, and i wish that the listeners they will uh, imbibe very crucial uh, lessons from your journey to research and that will enlighten their path to phd journey i hope so thank you so much thank you